Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of Relating to DevSecOps, where we explore the security, development, and operational issues of today by solving real-world problems with people on the ground that face them. I'm Ken Toller, and I'm joined again today by Mike McCabe of MBM Consultants, so we can chat through more of security in the DevSecOps world. Uh, today, we are covering checking your stuff at build time or and what that really means shifting left type of uh if we're trying to attach to some buzzwords inside of security we always we always hear that type of thing shift left when we talk about devsecops like the uh like an electric slide or something we could definitely make a devsecops theme song uh, focused on that but anyway i digress welcome back mike how's it going man good thanks for having me back on yeah so be a good little series you know i will we'll get uh it's it's fun to sort of get back to the security realm of things and, um, you know, we'll switch it up with dev and, um, operations here pretty soon. But uh, we were talking a little bit, um, after the show last time around, you know, what, what comes next after analyzing something, uh, in the realm of, uh, CSPM and, uh, what it might look like to move that kind of thing uh, to the left side, what it looks like to do things, uh, during build time. So I guess, uh, maybe you could just give a quick overview of what that looks like for you and um, uh, maybe a story or, or something about how it's successful or not successful, and then we can kick off from there. Yeah, sure. So yeah, like we talked about before, CSPM is the, I kind of think of it as preventative and detective. CSPM, runtime checking, whatever you want to call it, that's the detective piece. Whatever's already out there, you're detecting, you know, secure uh, or insecure configurations. <clears throat> the build time side is um, before you're actually deploying any infrastructure. Um, now, this is all based in the world of doing infrastructure as code, not people going into the console and clicking buttons to deploy infrastructure. So you have to have somewhat of a mature kind of DevOps process, um, or you can't, it's much harder to do build time uh, kind of controls. But from what I've seen that's worked really well in mature organizations, and I think you've seen some of the same, is you have your set of things you care about. Uh, so that's that's your list of controls or policies, whether those are compliance, security, governance, whatever it is. Um, and you have those checks in your CSPM or, you know, in some other tool that does uh, detective checking of your environment. And then at build time, you have the same checks, but that's running against your infrastructure as code. So your CFTs, your Terraform, or ARM templates, whatever whatever it is, you use bash scripts with uh, for loops and AWS API calls if you're, you know, if you hate yourself. Um, so what I've seen work well is you have to have a really strong pipeline-based process. So everything has to go through that pipeline. As soon as you start, Doing some things to the console, um, you it really breaks down because if if what's out there doesn't match up with you know what your CFTs look like or your Terraform look like, that's when pipelines start breaking down, um, or you start overriding infrastructure that's out there, or you just get drift that um, you know screws everything up. But there are really powerful and really simple ways that you can implement this kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> one of the big projects I saw was using. Uh, CFN Lint, which is CloudFormation Lint, which is an open source tool that AWS um, itself put out. And I don't, I don't know if it was originally intended to be a security tool. It was more of just a linter for CloudFormation. But 
you can write checks in that just as if you could any other language. Um, <clears throat> and you can write, you know, uh, don't allow quad zeros in your security group. Don't allow, you know, public access in your, in your, um, in your S2 buckets, anything, you know, it's, it's just a bunch of if else clauses to parse through a CFT and determine what values you care about and what value in those values you care about. Um, <clears throat> so it's all relatively simple. I mean, it can be complex, just kind of working through writing that logic to figure out what you care about in those templates. Um, and as you know, Terraform offers their own uh, kind of version of that, which is called Sentinel, which is a paid product. Um, you can download and test it locally, but to really do real um, work with it, you have to have Terraform Enterprise, unfortunately. Um, but that's again, that's a more of a custom language that um, that again is really just a linter. I mean, it's not it doesn't care about formatting as much more about you know the values, but you can write all your policies in that and really have you know policy as code. That's another great buzzword that people love. Um, yeah. But it is it is really it is really powerful and um, it can, you know, I think prevention is, is way better than detection and fixing. You have to have both because nothing's perfect, but it can be really powerful just to, to ensure that you have um, a reasonably secure kind of foundation for your cloud infrastructure. Right. So, I mean, that, that's a, that's a great overview. And I like um, sort of, I like how you, you put that together. I think one of the things that I always come back to when you talk about uh, linting and doing some of these things like uh, applying tools like CFN lint, you made a good point where, you know, it doesn't, they're not really security tools. And so, um, but we can use them for security functions. And I think one of the, the more powerful things in that is that what we talk about on this show is how we can leverage um, tools, functions, other teams, other things to perform security duties on behalf of security rather than having security sort of always be the, the, the single entity that is doing the security thing. We talk about, you know, on, from a management perspective, how security is everyone's responsibility. Uh, but then, you know, we sort of let that fall to the wayside. Uh, we, and, and it's, it's, you know, we not, we don't necessarily always live it. So where, where, do you sort of see um, how a linting tool that might be particularly uh, geared towards maybe best practice or code quality, how can we make those more security driven? Or do you think that we're going to go in the, in the way of like this policy is code thing like you were talking about with Sentinel? Because I, like Sentinel is a security tool, right? It's like, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a linter, so to speak, but all of the, it's, it's, uh, marketed as a security tool. It's uh, around writing policies and rules against Terraform code versus a linter is sort of a set of patterns that you are, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but the way that I look at it is linter is more of a set of patterns around best practices. So do you think that those two things are different? And if it is something that we can use a linter for like CFN lint, or uh, maybe applying some of these security checks inside of a, a linter, how does a developer know or an engineer know the difference between a code quality issue and a security issue? Are they one and the same or like, how should we look at that? Yeah, I mean, I, the way I'm a fan of doing it in the couple of projects that I've seen 
this done is you have you have linting rules or if you want to just if you don't want to call them if, if we're terraform or for hashicorp and we don't want to call sentinel just a linter we want to say it's special sauce that's better than that um you know you have your policies written in any of these tools that tie back to um you know actual internal policies and i think it's really important to give developers as much information as possible when they have these violations as to what is wrong and why uh why it is an issue so you know if if um they accidentally make an s3 bucket public in their uh their cloud formation templates you flag that and then also say why it's an issue and then point back to a policy that it's tied to in a good company culture uh people won't <clears throat> push back on truly insecure things and say uh you know i see why this is an issue and um you don't need to throw a policy document at me but in some places they are like that and they will push back until you you point out the line of the policy document that um this security control comes from so to to kind of remove that the good i think it's always good to tie those two things together so you have your techno technical control and you have your policy um, that lines up with it and that's the information that you can pass to to developers um, so having a library of you know these <clears throat> these things you're checking for tying them to policies um, and just giving that information to them uh, i think is is really good so it's not like a the less you have to bring security into the conversation to explain things to go through policies to debug things for them i think the better um, and the more they'll just learn, okay, I know I know I won't code that in my templates um, next time or I understand why this is an issue. So, um, but I think it, it starts with what do you care about in your cloud environment? Uh, do you care about public S3 buckets? Do you care about quad zeros? Maybe it doesn't apply, apply to you. Um, so you have to figure those things out first and then you write all the linting rules and whatever tool uh, you want. But I think, Back to your point, they're they're very similar. And if you are working in a mature shop, hopefully you are using some kind of linting tools and have, have a pipeline for your actual infrastructure as code, not just you know just pushing it out the door with zero testing, because even beyond security, that could have impacts on your operations. So you want to make sure that stuff is pretty um, pretty well sanity checked before it goes out the door anyway. So adding another tool to check the values to make sure that they're um, you know, the correct values for security, I think is is relatively easy to add on top. Got it. So that brings up two questions and I'll try to get them both in. But the first is, you know, a linter um, really does fall into the category of static analysis, right? So it's like, if we were to break those things out into like the, the things that are most common in static analysis, like your SAS tool, your you know, I'm going to analyze the code. We have a bunch of security rules. It's going to take a couple hours to analyze, and that's going to be, we'll call that a SaaS tool. And then your linters are this SaaS tool that's going to show you violations of best practices. And so we're still writing rules for it, but the approach is a little bit of a little bit the same. Somebody coming into that and trying to identify when and where to use each of these things, um, how do you determine? where and when to apply linting rules or what to write inside of a linter versus where and when to apply a traditional static analysis tool, um, like your full whole hog check marks, Veracode, whatever, and when and how to apply those. Yeah, I guess it's, I look at it, it depends on the use case. So if you just want to buy something and get it out the door, you can buy 
um, you know, one of the commercial tools that, uh, you know, there's bridge crew, there's concourse, there's, um, I think most of the <coughs> cloud companies are now, um, are building this piece where they look at your Terraform and they look at your cloud formation. Um, if you just want to get something going, I think you can just adopt one of those and they're, they're going to be based off of CIS and, um, and, you know, CSA best practices, things like that. But I think like most things, um, I think we kind of talked about this with the CSPM stuff at some point, the baselines that are out there and how you do cloud are going to diverge. Um, and that's when you might run into issues with flexibility with a commercial tool where something like, you know, just writing actual code will enable you to write custom checks. Um, but I think there's also, you know, winters have very basic winters have issues with, um, you know, they're just looking at values in a file. So if you have dependencies across different files, like if you have nested templates in, in cloud formation, things like that, or it's referencing some other stack, then a winter might fall down. And that's where you have to look at something that's more complex. Um, you know, something like Sentinel, uh, that gives you the ability to, you know, go deeper into what's in the plan, even if it's kind of pulling in different pieces from different places. So, um, but I think the overall point is you can get a lot um, out of very little with these tools. So it's worthwhile investigating what you can um, get done, especially for free. I mean, if we look at kind of the, the same thing in the AppSec world, everyone is buying static analysis tools, spending you know, I've seen SALs for hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, $500,000 order for a SaaS tool um, that needs like board level approval and then struggle to actually make much use out of it because it's hard to onboard. It's hard to work through all the results. And then we see people go back to the basics. Grep becomes the new static analysis tool. Um, I know plenty of consultants who one of the first things they do when they get a code base to start running their known Grep functions across the code base because you know, that's going to find quite a few things. SQL injection, cross-site scripting, that kind of stuff. They know what to look for to find it. Um, and so a lot of these things are, it's also applicable to infrastructure as code. You don't need to have the most fancy uh, abstract syntax tree that's chaining through all the dependencies and doing crazy stuff for you. You can get a lot with just literally grep. Now, I don't recommend just using grep since it's, you're going to be in bash hell very quickly, but um but the point is a lot of it is relatively straightforward. So you can get a lot out of it pretty easily versus implementing a very complex tool that offers you maybe more the ability to do more in-depth queries, but uh, also the, you know, the overhead of implementing that and potentially the cost. Yeah, agreed. And, and that was that you actually led into my next question, which was um, like how much time it takes to go through the process that you're talking about, which is building the rules and, and making sure that, you know, what you're, what you're assessing it is sort of like how long it takes to get all the rules that you want inside of your linter, inside of your, your um, left-hand side analysis tool. And I think, you know, you sort of said it, but the, it's really just get started, right? Um, because in the, if you think about how long it takes to onboard a SaaS tool, we talk about these things, oh, it's going to take too much time to write these rules before we even get to, um, you know, deployment. And so we talk about the level of effort it is for security engineers or developers to write the rules and then implement the rules and do them. But you sort of know that those rules are accurate. 
versus your I feel like you always spend sort of the same amount of time. I mean, they can these these onboarding, especially in larger organizations, onboarding this type of stuff can take six months. So if you took that same level of effort mm-hmm. and you know put that six months into developing those rule sets, you'd probably be in a better spot further left in in the life cycle. Not to say that you don't need both, but we can't really look at it as a as that function of time. It's just that you know, on the right side of things, when you're doing SaaS tools, all your time is spent tuning the tool that has all of these rules pre-built versus, you know, on the left side, you're you're building these rules one at a time, making sure that they work and, and moving forward there. The other thing is, you know, if you have one rule in the, you know, that you've started with in the left-hand side, this is not something that, you know, has to be measured because it's open source or because it's, uh, you know, it's free to use or easier to implement. It doesn't have to be, you know, this whole suite of products and things just get started with writing the rule with something simple, like if you're going to use grep or, you know, semgrep or the CodeQL stuff, which allows you to run, you know, sort of a little bit of grep on steroids on these, on any of these languages that are supported. So I think that, you know, they're, they're just as important. Um, and that if we're, if you are struggling with justifying the time spent to write these rules or write these tests, um, think about the amount of time it takes to onboard something like a SaaS tool and sort of compare it to that and take a step back and look at it that way. I don't know. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think if you do, from what I've seen, if you do a whole hog implementation of here's all our security controls, let's implement them in whatever tool we choose. Um, whether that's you know winter or a commercial tool, yeah, that's going to take months. That's going to take a lot of time with some dedicated developers to get done. Um, and I think that's a worthwhile thing to do if that's a strategic decision for the company. If that's how they want to handle this, um, I think you kind of nailed it. Like, yeah, vendors love to sell a product to say like, yeah, we're just plug and play. Well, the day you set us up, you give us access to your environment, things are going to be good to go. But you run into assumptions the product makes or limitations on how it works or just, you know, you have to build out more rules that are more applicable to you. Um, so you'll still end up doing that work. But I think for anyone, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who aren't going to have a dedicated infrastructure uh, security engineering team. Um, I think more mature shops have that, but a lot of places don't have that yet. So even security folks, if they can just work with their DevOps folks and write those simple rules. I mean, if most people are using something like Jenkins to do deployments, write a simple job to do grep based on some issues you've seen. If you see star star on IM policies, just add a rule to start flagging that. Um, and that takes, you know, 30 seconds to implement. And you can start building those things out over time. And you'll probably at some point need a real framework to kind of organize those things and make them better managed and easier for more people to add on to. But it doesn't take much. I mean, I think the I think the good thing is the really bad stuff that we're trying to prevent is generally pretty simple to detect. So public S3 buckets or public RDS or just really bad network rules or bad IM policies, um, things like that. Those things are not, you know, there's minutia to them, but some of the big things are relatively simple to implement. So you could knock out quite a few things on your own. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I really um like doing is especially with uh i don't know what what you use when you're looking at code manually but i'm, I'm like now attached to notepad, notepad plus plus that's, yeah you know i'm uh i'm on the the vs code 
uh, train here. But one of the things yeah. I always find myself doing is if I find something that wasn't caught by a static analysis tool, or if I find something that is a, uh, like in a language that's not supported by a tool, or maybe that's not purchased, that package isn't purchased or whatever, I'll always be putting the regex inside of VS code and it's going to like show me the results on the side. And I'm like, you know, I'm writing rules like as we go, you know, and yeah. it's, if you just take that effort that you already do and put that into something that can run on all the code bases, you can generate these patterns just through your natural workflow um, and just collect those, um, those regexes and then use something that is a bit more enterprise. You convert it into SEMGREP or whatever it is, and then you can run it on everything. And I think that, you know, Folks just generally don't take a step back and think of, you know, how can I find this in everything when you're already doing it day to day? If you're doing manual code reviews, chances are you're writing you're writing a pattern to search for something that was missed because you're checking like, oh, I found this thing. Now I need to go find it everywhere. So you're you're looking for it. And once you nail that down, you're like, okay, I think I found all the results. You can turn that into a rule for your tool and you don't need to get the buy-in from all your executives to to write that you like, you know, like you said, you can just start now and it's, it takes 30 seconds to do, or it can be a, almost a side effect of just doing your regular code reviews. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you don't have to turn something into blocking mode right away. You can, you know, run it just to send an email or, um, some kind of alert Slack message just to test it out. And, you know, at worst you follow up about it afterwards and you get it fixed and, um, once it's out the door, but it's better than not having, having any of that out there. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think most folks should, if they're involved in kind of, uh, pipelines and infrastructure as code, start looking at how to do these things. Um, they don't have to start with, you know, uh, climbing the entire mountain of having a full policy library full of checks. Um, but just start with the basic things. And there's already work out there. I think SEMGREP does have some rules for IAC and um, some other tools. Bridge Crew has their their stuff. I think they have open source. Um, so there's some things out there. I just think that eventually, if you grow big enough and you have the resources, you'll end up redoing the work yourself um, unless you you know pick the right kind of commercial tool that really gives you the flexibility to do everything um, on your own. But um, but yeah, I think everyone should just get started with this. The same thing, it's the same thing in AppSec, like throw some grep rules in your application pipelines, look for really the same stuff you see over and over again, um, and just start reporting on those things at build time versus, you know, once your pen testers come in once a year or once a quarter to, to find things. Cool. So um, when you, when we talk about build time, we, we've covered a lot on, uh, linting and analyzing the code and working through, um, you know, even policy as code. And we're talking about things like um, the the infrastructure as code side of things, like Terraform or whatever. Are there any other things that, uh, in your opinion, that we can do during build um, that is maybe not code driven or not necessarily in like the linting space or static analysis space that you want to comment on? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think I don't have an exact answer. I think an interesting area um, that's going to develop is kind of bridging the divide between build time and runtime checks. Um, because build time is really what are you about to do and runtime is what is out there. 
and they kind of have two different areas of concern and they're looking at the world in a slightly different way. So I think bridging those two things, because I mean, yeah, if you're, if you set up a brand new AWS account and there's nothing deployed out there, you run your Terraform and you have your first resources provision, but that's not, you know, that's not the reality. People have a lot of infrastructure out there. So their deployments now, their infrastructure is going into a live environment. So being able to read from that environment, I think is pretty powerful. And then there's that connection between build time and runtime kind of information. Um, perfect example is if you're deploying something that uses like a CMK, has that CMK been rotated? You can't tell that from just a CFT or Terraform. You'd have to look at actual KMS and AWS to see if that key has been rotated. Um, so something like that, where you can pull in runtime information to say, no, don't build this with that CMK because we're going to be stuck using it until it's uh, rotated. So I think that's that's an area where I'm not sure if the vendors or the open source community has really plugged those two things together because I think they are such um, kind of different areas of concern. Um, but I think that's going to be probably the next step where you you take what is out there and what I'm about to do and kind of merges those together to to figure out um, you know those two things. Got it. And do you think that, uh, especially in the world of like serverless applications and, uh, you know, as things become more, um, isolated in that way with like lambdas or, uh, containers and these applications become these sprawling things that you sort of need in a deployment environment for, um, how do you see that or how, where do you see this sort of shift left, uh, inside of the, uh, linting process falling against the SaaS side because, and I know that's probably a confusing question, but in my head, the way that it's, it's coming out is like, you know, I think of a Lambda application and I think, okay, well, DAST can work really well there, but SaaS is probably going to be kind of a challenge because it doesn't have the ability to necessarily relate all the dependencies of all these Lambdas because the, the runtime environment is, you know, inside of the Lambda, inside of the cloud. So how do we tie all these things together? It doesn't have the endpoints or any of the infrastructure around AWS to do that. And so how could, how can the SaaS tool be effective in that way? Um, in the same way, in the sort of in the same way that single page applications have evolved and it's become more and more difficult to, you know, point a, uh, um, a DAST tool at something like that. So do you think that linting is sort of the future of those types of applications or, um, you know, like where does it fall for the future of modern web apps that are, you know, inside of these microservice architectures or inside of these serverless architectures? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. Cause again, like if you're, if you're doing a security review of one configuration for one Lambda, but you know, you're using a microservice architecture that Lambda is interacting with Lambda, you have API gateways, um, the relationships become much more complex and your linting is just seeing it in that one context. Um, so perfect example of like, we've seen this during um, like microservice uh, security reviews where you have, you know, 200 lines of code in a microservice and it's very defined as to what that, that program is doing. So the, the actual application is not very complex, but the relationships between the applications become very complex. And what you see is assumptions being made in one place that aren't being held true in another place. So say like, um, I'm service X, I don't do authentication or authorization because I sit behind 
um, you know, service Y, and that does the authentication. But for some reason, service X is public, and now you can just hit that with a very basic value. Um, and that's where, you know, the the relationship is what created that complexity, and there's assumptions built into that. So I think I think doing um, linting or you know any kind of review of infrastructure as code, that's where it definitely breaks down. Is you you're in your silo of what that specific thing does. But I think that's where you could kind of combine the the infrastructure as code review along with um, along with the runtime. So, are you adding a lambda behind an API gateway that has an authorizer in place, or is that not there? You're just adding a public lambda kind of thing. Um, but modeling those relationships is really difficult because you know ask most teams from an architecture diagram, they'll be like, "We think it's like this," or "This is from two years ago." Um, there's this one guy who's on vacation right now who knows how everything works. Um, so that's, that's very difficult to do. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you're, you're, you're kind of getting my, uh, my gears turning a little bit because it makes it, it, it sort of opens up this door of, um, being able to leverage something like a linter to look for these, if we could have that bridge of feeding and in information, almost like a CMDB into uh, the linters about the current state of of where things are, um, then that we could make those linting tools much more powerful, and those or the we'll call them like advanced grep tools much more powerful because it has the context of where that application is going to be deployed. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I don't know. Do you know any projects that are doing that right now? <laughs> uh, struggling to do so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, look, I know we're, we're trying to keep these at, at 30 minutes and I just wanted to have a, a chance to sort of look at the other side of, um, of things, you know, after at the sort of the after show of, uh, the CSPM episode. So, um, anything else you want to add, uh, on that topic or things you, that, that you might uh, have thought of to, to let you want to dig into in the next one? Um, I mean, I think one thing we've kind of touched on some of the tooling, but I think, uh, and we talk about this in our talk as well Is I think people need to go into all this with the strategy of what their, you know, what the way of the land's going to look like in, you know, two years, every security tool, every tool in general, it takes six months to a year just to bake it into, to get it deployed, get it baked into your process, um, get it tuned. So before you start buying tools, before you start doing anything, really have a strategy for what you think things are going to look like in two years. And you also have to line that up with, um, you know, your enterprise strategy. So I think that's kind of an area where these these two types of tools plug in, um, but we haven't really talked about, I think that kind of, that side of it of what is your cloud security strategy gonna be? So I think that's another area that's to be talked about. Yeah, uh, starting with a strategy. I mean, that is the first, like the requirements phase, I think is the, the, uh, the, the dream of starting uh, with that, yeah. with the plan before the the actual implementation, um, yeah, man. I mean, it, this just sort of reiterates uh, something that we've talked about a lot, which is just when you're thinking about doing things inside of the DevSecOps world, or automating infrastructure, or writing these tests, or shifting left, or any of it. It's just get started. I think that there is a huge, um, like, just thought out there that all of these things are super complex and we don't have the skills to do them or it's going to take too long and we can't really show value, but you starting small and just doing one of these things, even if it's, 
like you as the security engineer writing one or two rules uh, a week. You know, that is that is more than I think most people do. And so it's just like just those tools are out there and I just feel like you know, people need to get invigorated to use them in their day to day rather than try to think of everything as this super huge project. Yeah. Um, so that uh, sort of wraps it up for us, man. Thanks for coming back and uh, and talking about uh, shifting left and getting things into the into the the build phase. Uh, we'll definitely have to sort of think about what we want to talk about with strategy. Um, for everyone that has listened uh, to this shorter episode, uh, really appreciate it. If you want to leave us some feedback or um, send some notes, uh, you can reach us at security at r2dso.com, www.r2dso.com, or you can hit us on Twitter at r2dso. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>